right, I want to invite you to open up your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And uh, if you're using a Bible in front of you, it's either going to be on page 500, or I'm sorry, page 936, or page 996, depending on the volume. So it's near the end of the Bible, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this evening. And as you turn there, um, I just want to give a brief word about how we ended up in 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight and what drew me to this passage. Um, Paul, here in 2 Timothy, he's at the end of his ministry. And these la- the last three verses of this passage, verse 6, 7, and 8 of 2 Timothy 4, we, we get Paul's personal reflection, kind of looking back over his ministry. He knows he's, he's about to die as he's about to die, and he looks back and, and he, he concludes that he's been faithful in the work God has given him. And it's, it's just a powerful picture to me. And as a young man at the beginning of his life in ministry, I, I'm just, I've been encouraged this, this spring really kind of meditating on those three verses in particular and seeing this faithful man, and a man really who was completely transformed by the power of Christ. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, the only reason he's here at the end of his life looking back and reflecting in this way is because of what Christ has done in his life. You can read about that in Acts. Uh, but, but that's what initially drew me to this letter, so I, I, or to this passage. So I, I want you to see that. And I also want you to see that this is the context that Paul is addressing Timothy in. He's at the end of his life here. He's, he's passing the baton, so to speak, to a young Timothy. And this is what he shares to him. Uh, one person describes this passage as the parting advice of the aged warrior to his younger and rather timid lieutenant. And that's really what this whole letter is. It's, it's parting advice from Paul, wise old Paul, to young, timid Timothy. And if we wanted to characterize the message of this whole letter, uh, really simply, I think one, one way we could do it is just simply be faithful. That's what Paul is calling Timothy to, be faithful. And we see that uh, throughout the letter, be faithful in the midst of suffering, be faithful in godliness in Timothy's own life. And very importantly, be faithful in communicating the truth of God's word to other people. And so that brings us to the end of 2 Timothy here, verses 1 through 8. And, and really, we could summarize these eight verses simply as, as Paul's final exhortation to Timothy to preach the word. That's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy here. Preach the word. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'll read the passage, and then we'll talk about it for a while. So let, let me pray. God, thank you for giving us this word, and we trust that, that this is your word. You have spoken to us clearly, and I pray you would reveal what you want us to see in this passage tonight. You would open our eyes you would, you would work through a, a weak new preacher, Lord, to clearly communicate what you want us to see in this passage tonight. And I pray that we would be encouraged um, with what we see and that we'd see more clearly the glory of our Savior. 
In your name, amen. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. As we jump into this passage tonight, uh, I want to address a question, an important question that might be on your mind as we're getting into this. Uh, This is a a letter from one older minister to a younger minister. And so it's it's fair to ask, it's reasonable to ask, uh, how is this relevant to those of us who are not ministers, those of us who are not in Timothy's Shoes, And I hope as we get into this passage, you'll, you'll see clearly something for us here. But I just want to offer a couple things up front as we get into it to, to kind of whet your appetite to see what, what we can gain from studying this passage tonight. Well, for one, if, 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 the, if the call to Timothy is to preach the word, if the call to faithful ministers is to preach the word, that should instruct us for how we're to be ministered to, right? If, if the call to Timothy is to preach the word, well, implicit in that is that we, as the people that ministers are ministering to, we should prioritize the preaching of the word. So if ministers are called to preach, then people are to listen. And then another thing I, I think we'll see clearly in this passage is that ministers are to be models of good works for their people. And, and I, I think that'll flesh out. The, the author of Hebrews tells his readers to imitate the faith of their leaders. And, and I think we have something to gain thinking about what we can imitate in this passage as well. So the minister's priorities are instructive to our priorities and we should imitate godly people. And as we go through the passage, I'll try and draw some of those things out. So, right off the bat, if the main point for Timothy is to preach the word, like I said a minute ago, the main point for us tonight as non-ministers will be to prioritize the preaching of God's word. So that's our, our big idea. That's the big point I want you to take away from this passage, and I think that's what Paul wants us to see as we read this, is We should prioritize the preaching of God's word. I see this passage unfolding in three parts, and we're going to go through them. Uh, First is verses 1 through 4. We have a charge to preach the word. 
And then in verse 5, there's an exhortation to remain faithful. And then in verses 6 through 8, we have remember the reason. Paul encourages Timothy to remember the reason for these things. And so we're just going to walk through these three sections tonight in the time that we have and hopefully see what, what, um, something that God wants to show us tonight. So jumping right in, point one, preach the word. I want you to look down at verse 2 and see that the central command is actually, it's in verse 2, preach the word. But Paul, Paul doesn't start in verse 2. He starts in verse 1. And that's interesting. If you think about it, Paul could just jump right in and tell Timothy to preach the word. But think about what verse 1 adds. If Paul had just simply jumped in at verse 2, we would have a strong command. We would see the word is important and it needs to be preached. But Paul doesn't start there. He, st- he starts by saying, I charge you. It's personal. It's a personal charge. He's saying, I, Paul, the apostle Paul, I, Paul, your father in the faith, I charge you. I- I'm the one who's suffering and about to die. I charge you. And then he goes on in verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom. So before Paul even gives the command, the exhortation to Timothy, he brings him before God, into the presence of God in his throne room. And what we see here, whatever else we could say about this picture, one thing should be totally clear at this point. What Paul is about to say is very important. He wants Timothy to get this. He has him in the presence of God. And so then verse 2, we we get the charge. Verse 2, preach the word. And this is a public proclamation of the word. It's like what we're doing right now, what we come and gather and do every Sunday morning. Someone gets up and opens God's word and publicly proclaims what it says. And we may ask, what does Paul mean by the word here? We're to preach the word. Faithful ministers are to preach the word. What, what, what does Paul mean? Well, uh, it, it's, it's noteworthy that he says that even in the first place. Preachers are not just to get up here and to talk about whatever they want to talk about or try to encourage you with something that happened in their life. No, preachers are to preach something, something that Paul calls the word. You may, have, you may be familiar with this passage. Immediately preceding our passage tonight, there is a, a, a very well-known passage about Scripture. And that's probably the most clear connection to what Paul means by the word. And I'll just read a couple verses here from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good word. So the word that Paul is talking about is scripture. It's that which is breathed out by God, that which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training. That's what ministers are to get up and proclaim to you. And we could get even a little more specific than that. Uh, It's not simply that ministers are to use the Bible as their source material and then 
go any direction they want. No, Paul has in mind the message of Scripture as well when he says preach the word. Uh, as a specific purpose that we have God's word. And he actually alludes to it in the verse right before what I just read. He, he says to Timothy, uh, he's talking about his childhood, and he says, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So those writings that Paul is talking about, their purpose are to make people wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the, the heart of what Paul is getting at here is the preaching of the message of Jesus Christ, the salvation we have in Jesus Christ from all of Scripture. And that's the role of the preacher, is to get up and not just make reference to the Bible, but to preach Christ, to preach the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ and preach the message of salvation. Ministers are to preach the word. And then he he goes on. He kind of gives several more commands to explain what he means by this preaching. He says, be ready in season and out of season. In other words, be, be ready all the time. Timothy, as a minister, should be ready any time to preach the word. And he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, I'm not going to unpack each of those words. What we do see, there's a negative element that the minister is to be uh, proclaiming, reproving, rebuking. And there's a positive element, exhorting, teaching, instructing, urging people to live in a godly way. What we do see from those three verbs, what we should see clearly, is that the preaching of the word should be practical. It should be, it should be practical. It should not just merely be exposing truth and doctrine, but, but it should be applying it to the lives of those who are hearing it. That's why Paul says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. And there's something personal implied there. If you're going to rebuke somebody, you need to know something about them. So the preaching of the word, it should be, should be practical. And you may hear an echo there of what Paul, what I just read about scripture in verse 16 of chapter 3. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable. Here's the purpose of scripture, verse 16. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof for correcting, and for training. And then here Paul says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Paul is encouraging Timothy to use scripture the way it was intended, to use it practically, not merely to expound truth, he should do that, but to then apply it to the lives of his hearers, to rebuke them with it, to reprove them, and to exhort them. So Timothy is to proclaim the message of scripture to his people and use it to reprove them, to rebuke them, and to exhort them. He's to apply it to them so that they would grow in good works. And there's a word here for us too, right? As people who are not preachers, we need to be ready to hear God's word proclaimed. This is the word we should be hungering for is to hear 
this message of salvation proclaimed and then applied to our lives. How often do you, or how often do I, show up on a Sunday morning ready to be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted from God's word? I don't think like that. We need to think like that. If the, if the minister's job is to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, we need to be ready to be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted by God's word. Paul goes on then. He, he, shares, um, he shares a word about Timothy's audience in verses 3 and 4. Timothy's given a clear charge. Preach the word. And now he goes on to, ex- uh, to, to tell Timothy a little bit about what to expect in the world that he's ministering to. What can Timothy anticipate? And it's a pretty depressing picture, actually. Verse 3 and 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. People aren't going to endure sound teaching. They're not going to want to have anything to do with exactly what it is Timothy has been charged to do. Instead, they're going to surround themselves with teachers who just who suit their own passions, is what the verse says. Teachers who tell them what they want to hear. Teachers who proclaim a message that tickles their itching ears. And they're, they're going to lose a taste for the truth. And there's a warning for us there, right, in those verses. Are there ways in which we are no longer enduring sound teaching? Now, all of you here are at a church that prioritizes the sound teaching of God's word. So I assume all of us, in some measure, desire to hear sound teaching. But we need to consider, are there ways that these verses might still describe us? Things that have crept in, that we, 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 we'd rather hear things that are easy to hear. Things that suit our passions, rather than the, uh, the, the word of God that is going to convict us. Call us to obedience. So Timothy's to preach the word to an audience that does not want to hear the word preached. Point two, as we move into verse five here, it's just a simple charge for Timothy to remain faithful. Paul has just exhorted Timothy to preach the word. He's told him that people will not listen to him for long. It's not a particularly encouraging assignment for Timothy. Uh, But uh, Paul then shares, how is Timothy to deal with this negative response, this negative world that he's in? And his simple answer is just remain faithful. Or we could say, keep plodding. I like the word plod because I think it's kind of a, a sad word, but it kind of describes what Paul is saying here, right? Like, it's not a flashy, showy thing. It's just Timothy is to continue to do what God has called him to do. He's to plod. And he kind of unpacks that in, in four parts. 
is be sober-minded. Have a clear head. Think clearly about the world around him. It says endure suffering. If you read through 2 Timothy, suffering is kind of a theme throughout the letter. In just uh, the previous chapter, verse 12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's part of the job description for Timothy and for Christians. If you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. So he says, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. And this is not the the kind of evangelist who merely goes and preaches the gospel to unbelievers. This is an evangelist in a full sense that goes both to unbelievers and to believers. Just gospel ministry. That word is just the same word for gospel. Just do gospel work. To unbelievers, yes, but also to believers. And then finally, he concludes just simply fulfill your ministry. Do what God has called you to do. Fulfill your ministry. Timothy is to keep plotting. Uh, in my preparation here, I read a story about Alistair Begg. You may have heard of a, uh, he's a preacher, uh, and he, he's talking about this verse, and somebody is recording him saying this, but I just want to read you this quote, because I think it, it captures this sense of plotting. He says, I increasingly find that verse to be the anchor point for all my days. I wake up on a Monday and say, well, what will I do now? And I say, well, I think I'll try to keep my head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of my ministry. And when I am lifted up by a little encouragement, which sometimes comes, I say to myself, well, what shall I do? The answer is keep your head, endure hardship, and so on. And when the waves beat on me, and I feel just like running away to the hills somewhere, somewhere, what should I do? Well, Alistair, just keep your head, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So that's a word in season for us to take away and think of. There's something there for us, too, right? That's a, a, a preacher speaking, a minister speaking, but, but there's a principle there that, that clearly directly applies to us. We may not have a, a full-time ministry. We may not have a job where we get paid to minister to others, but as believers, God has called us all to ministry. We're all ministers to each other in that sense, and we're to be faithful in whatever God has called us to do. So keep plotting in whatever God has set before you. And then finally, point three, these last three verses. Just remember the reason. And here we get to the motivation behind what Paul is telling Timothy. And I kind of have it broken out into three reasons, one for each verse. The first is just a historical reason just briefly mentioned, Paul's ministry is coming to an end here. Verse 6, he says, I am re- I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. Paul is phasing out. His ministry is over. And so there's a burden for the message in this specific historical context that we find Second 2 Timothy. There's a burden that the message would continue. Remember, Paul was the apostle 
to the Gentiles, and, and now he's dying, and he's burdened that the message would continue to go forward. Uh, so he says earlier in the letter, 2 Timothy 2.2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The message of the gospel must continue going forward once Paul's gone. And we could just take a minute on this first point to thank God that this has been happening all through the history of the church. This is why, in some part, this is why we have the word right now and that we're all sitting here listening to the preaching of the word. It's because men have been faithful to entrust the word to other faithful men who have continued to entrusting it on down the line. And we can praise God. We should praise God for that. Faithful men have been entrusting God's word to other faithful men. But then he goes on and he gives himself as an example. And this might be a little surprising at first that maybe it feels like Paul is boasting. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He holds himself up as an example of faithfulness. He's completed his leg of the race. He's been faithful. We won't camp on this, but we know, uh, we, we heard this last Sunday, actually, from Colossians. The way Paul describes this, he says, he struggles with all his energy, Christ's energy, that he powerfully works within me. So ultimately, while Paul has been faithful, while he's persevered, it's Christ's energy working within him that has gotten him to this point. And again, I would just commend to you the book of Acts to see this in action in large part. We have Paul uh, breathing out threats against the church and then ultimately becoming a missionary for the church, for Christ. And what happened in between is he was, Christ revealed himself to him, showed his glory, and then Paul's life was flipped over. And so Paul is saying this here in 2 Timothy, not to make himself seem great, not to puff, puff up himself in, in Timothy's eyes, but rather to show that Christ has been faithful to him. It's his energy that has gotten Paul to this point. And then finally, we get verse 8. Remember the reason? An eternal reason. It's where Paul lands. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. So he closes out this section by mentioning his reward, what he calls the crown of righteousness. Now, before I jump into the crown of righteousness, I just want to say, uh, notice briefly, the passage begins with a reference to God as judge in verse 1. You see that? Who is to judge the living and the dead? And then now Paul concludes with another reference to Christ as the judge. The Lord, the righteous judge, in verse 8 there. And on the one hand, that should be an absolutely terrifying reminder, right? The fact that one day Timothy is going to stand before a righteous judge, somebody who knows everything, sees everything, knows everything about Timothy, well, here Paul's talking about himself first. 
The fact, Paul is going to stand before this righteous judge, and he's going to hold him to account for it. He's going to judge righteously. So under normal circumstances, uh, this, this, this should strike fear into somebody. But that's not why Paul brings it up here. Paul doesn't mean to strike fear into Timothy. Paul is trying to encourage Timothy. Paul is dying, and while he knows he'll stand before the righteous judge, he's confident that he will receive the reward of righteousness from Christ. We sang about this uh, just, just a few minutes ago. The song says, uh, that, that last verse, it says, Clothed in righteousness divine, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. That's Paul's song. Right? He knows that, well, a normal person should be terrified at the prospect of standing before a righteous judge because of the righteousness of Christ accounted to him. He's excited. He's anticipating that day eagerly because he knows that's when he'll receive his reward from Christ. It's incredible. And he wants Timothy to see that, right? That's implied. Clearly, he's trying to show Timothy that he should live in light of the same reward. One day, Timothy is going to reach the same point in his life, and he's going to have to reflect, and he's going to have to anticipate standing in front of this righteous judge, And this is Timothy's reward, too, for faithful ministry. And it should motivate him right now. Thinking about the future should motivate his ministry right now. And then finally, just lest we think this is just for Paul and Timothy and ministers of the gospel, Paul makes clear this is a a reward for everyone. He says it's for all those who have loved his appearing. We all anticipate this reward. We all anticipate receiving the righteousness of Christ. So this is also a call for us to live in light of our eternal reward. In a few words, we could say it, live with the end in mind. There's a day coming when the righteous judge will sit on his throne and judge everything we've done. And for the believer... For those who have Christ, this should fill us with hope right now. And it should motivate motivate our faithful ministry right now. So just in conclusion, what do we do with this passage? Well, the main point we've seen tonight is that we, we need to prioritize the preaching of God's word. And as I've unpacked this, I've tried to, to share some practical takeaways, some, some things, and hopefully you've seen the relevance of this passage to you and to every believer. But I just briefly want to hold a couple of practical thoughts before you again. And you already heard these, but, but for one, we need to thank God for godly leaders who preach this way. It should stir up gratitude in our hearts if we have preachers like this, people who are faithful to the word and striving to say nothing more than what God has said. 
We should, we should thank God for leaders like that. And when the opportunity comes to look for additional leaders, we should look for leaders like that. Leaders like verse five, the leaders that are described by verse five, not leaders with flashy ministries, but people who are sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill their ministry. We should thank God for leaders like that, and we should look for leaders like that. And then finally, just in our own hearts, prioritize the listening. Prioritize listening to the preaching of God's word. And we should be ready to be reproved, rebuked, exhorted. If you're a part of this church, God has blessed you with pastors who faithfully seek to obey this command laid out in 2 Timothy 4. Take advantage of it. We need to take advantage of it. We, we get about an hour each Sunday morning to hear God's word proclaimed directly to us from a, from a pastor who has considered his people and considered God's word and is trying to faithfully preach what God has said in his word. So let's pray that God would help us to show up every Sunday ready to receive this preaching and ready to be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted from scripture. Let me pray to that end right now. Lord, thank you for this passage, this reminder. And I trust there were things in it that we needed to hear tonight, Lord, and I pray that you would use your word to, to work in our hearts and so that we would be more like you and we would want to hear your word preached in this way. And I pray for those who do preach the word here that they would remain faithful to this calling. And I thank you that you've given us men like this. In your name, amen.